26th of October 1997, Canberra, Australia. 25-year-old Anu Singh calls Triple O Emergency to report her 26-year-old boyfriend Joe Chinque in need of assistance. By the time the paramedics arrive, they can't help Joe. Police would later arrest Singh and charge her with murder. This case will bring on the rage. Most Cambo, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Okay, strap yourselves in for this one. This will bring on the rage. This case must be one of the most disgusting and disturbing that I've come across. Not only is the main purpose selfish, disgusting excuse for a human being, but those around her are not much better. It's a case where mental health will determine the outcome. It's a case where the grieving family every day have to live with the fact they lost their son and brother while the perp now is out free to live her life. Now I must shout out to Helen Garner, as a lot of the background to this story comes from her book, The Consolation of Joe Chinque. If you really want to find out more about this case, I suggest you go onto Google and buy a copy. It's a great in-depth account of this terrible event. I'll stick a link on Facebook and Twitter so that you can find it easily. Also, as Helen has, I will be using court transcripts for the story. Okay, so first off, I'll give you a bit of a background into the victim, Joe Chinque. So Joe Chinque, first son of Maria and Nino Chinque and brother to Anthony. Born in 1972, he grew up in Newcastle, north of Sydney. His mum said he would never stay still. I always tell him, calm down, stay still. He did very well at school and started to do architecture at uni, but he didn't like being inside, so he changed to engineering. In 1979, the family had a really bad car accident. Joe was thrown clear, Nino was knocked out, Anthony was trapped in the back seat and Maria's leg and foot was terribly injured. She was in hospital for months recovering. Joe stepped up and took care of his baby brother while Maria was in hospital. He was cooking, cleaning and doing the ironing. Anthony, after being trapped in the wreckage, had a lot of issues after that and would always need to sleep with the light on. Joe had a girlfriend before Anu Singh called Rebecca, who thought the world of Joe, but they broke up and Joe travelled overseas. He would never eat takeaway, and his mum loved cooking for him. She would even peel his orange, cut it into quarters, and then put it all back together and wrap the peel back around it. His workmates would say only a mother would do that, certainly a girlfriend wouldn't. 
At a party in 1995, he would probably make the greatest mistake of his life, meeting Anu Singh. So, who's Anu Singh? She was only one year old when her doctor parents migrated from the Punjab, which is about as far north in India that you can get. They settled in Newcastle, Australia. It's said she was clever but clingy and developed early in life. By the time she was a teenager, she became a headache, slacking off at school, wearing clothes that her conservative parents disapproved of, and would sneak out at night to hang out with the guys. By age 15, she was drinking and smoking pot. In her senior years at school, she started dieting, and although her grades were very good, she was not bright enough to get into medicine. So she would study economics and law at the Australian National University in Canberra, and that was in 1991. It's also here where she started taking acid. In 1993, she hooked up with a guy called Simon Walsh, and this at first seemed to settle her down. However, Anu would be constantly on the phone to her mother in Sydney. She was now taking drugs daily, which included ecstasy and meth. She completed her Bachelor of Economics degree in 1994. In 1995, the Sings moved from Newcastle to Strathfield in the western suburbs of Sydney. It's said it's middle class, but you need to have a reasonable amount of wealth to own a house there now. During one of the uni breaks in 1995, Anu went home and her father described her as being in an odd state. She wouldn't go out, sat around in casual clothes and would cry for no apparent reason. The truth of it was, she was now using drugs regularly at uni and this was the after effects and the effects of coming down. Even though she was extremely thin, she begged her father that she needed liposuction and she pestered him until he finally gave up and put a deposit down on treatment for her. But she decided not to go ahead with it in the end. Now, I just want to make a comment here, if you'll let me. Even though her father and mother are both doctors and they could see she was incredibly thin, Anu was able to manipulate them into paying for liposuction. This shows how she's able to manipulate others, even her parents, into getting whatever she wants. And of course, as soon as the deposit was paid for the lipo, she'd got what she wanted and cancelled. She got the attention she needed, and so she would now move on to the next drama. Eventually, she would meet Joe, have a fling, and break up with Simon Walsh after he found out. Simon told her that she was intellectually inferior to him anyway. This stung Anu more than the breakup. Anyway, the breakup is something she would blame on Joe for later on down the track. So it's nearly New Year 1995. Joe is at a pub in Newcastle and meets Anu Singh. At the time, Joe was working at the same company his father and grandfather had worked for as an engineering project manager. Anu was up from Canberra on uni leave visiting her parents in Newcastle. It wasn't long before Joe and Anu were constantly on the phone to each other 
And it was not just Anu calling Joe, but Joe put in his fair share of calls as well. Now, I just want to say that throughout the story, Anu would constantly be on the phone to whoever it was she was trying to control. The fact that Joe would also make plenty of calls suggests to me that rather than wait for Anu to call, he would make the call first to keep the peace. Sort of so he wouldn't get the you-never-call-me bullshit. Anyway, we must go on. When Joe brought Anu home to meet his family... His mum wasn't overly impressed with her and noticed that she would never let Joe out of her sight for a second. His mum said that before meeting Anu, he would never miss a day of uni or work. But after meeting Anu, he would sometimes get a call from her and he would have to leave work early and go down to Canberra and look after her. Now I hear you all say, this girl is a control freak. Well, Anu did have an eating disorder at the time and Joe was the sort of guy that thought it was his duty to look after her if she needed help. Joe's mum would say that she's going to take Joe from us, from work, from his friends. She said he wasn't a happy, free spirit anymore. He had changed. Now, there is one other main character in this saga, Madhavi Rao also a law student at Australian National University. She was one of Anu's closest friends, not so much because Anu liked her, more that Madhavi was her devoted lapdog, her little bitch that she could get to do anything for her. This included driving her wherever she wanted, giving her money, being the ear that would listen to her constant phone calls, In fact, when Madhavi found a group home, it shared one phone. Anu would call so often that the other housemates resorted to putting the phone in Madhavi's room at night and into the morning so they wouldn't have to hear it. Fuck's sake, for this to be a thing, Anu must have been constantly calling, probably while off a face, and the doormat Madhavi would listen to whatever rant Anu was on at the time as everything revolved around Anu's daily dramas. So we get to 1995. Joe has a good job as an engineer, and Anu is starting to fail at uni. At one stage in 1995, Joe and Anu had been at dinner with friends, and the conversation as always surrounds Anu. She thinks she's fat. Joe makes a passing comment that models and the like take Ipecac syrup to help them lose weight. For those that don't know, Ipecac syrup was used as a way to induce vomiting in case of an ingested poison. What Joe was getting at was how it was used as a weight loss method. You eat, take Ipecac and throw up. As far as I can see, it's no longer in production. But back in 1995, you could buy it from the local chemist or your pharmacy or your drugstore. Now, I will just mention how this passing comment by Joe on the use of Ipecac will become so important at a later date. Anyway, Anu starts using it regularly. Towards the end of 1996, she began complaining of aching legs, hot flushes, pains in the body and generally feeling unwell. In January or February 1997, she complained that she could not feel her head. 
She said that she had a different head on a different body. She also said that she had things crawling under her skin. Her father told her that she developed a mental illness and that she must see a psychologist or a psychiatrist. She retorted that there was nothing wrong with her mind, the problem was with her body. Now early in 1997, she complained also of chronic fatigue syndrome. Soon, Anu is convinced she's suffering from a fatal muscle-wasting disease and although she consults many doctors, none of them will confirm her illness. She's convinced her disease is from the IPACAC that she's been taking and of course, that was Joe's fault. At one stage, a chef friend, Sanjeeva Tenakun, one of Anu's flatmates, came home and found Anu dry-reaching. Anu told him that she'd taken the syrup. Sanjeeva got the bottle and threw it out knowing how harmful the stuff was. A few days later, a new bottle was on the fridge. Sanjeeva asked Joe what it was doing there and he told him that Anu wanted it. So you see, Anu gets what Anu wants. Anu starts getting into her head that she wants to commit suicide rather than die slowly from her imagined muscle-wasting disease. Of course, Madhavi is the main person she confides in with her latest drama. As the idea develops, Anu tells Madhavi that Joe also wants to commit suicide with her and they plan to do it together. They start to research methods of suicide and at one stage while at the uni library, Madhavi and Anu approach a girl and ask her for money to do some photocopying. This girl, whose name's been suppressed, noticed that they were copying documents about suicide. This girl would later be invited to one of the parties that I'll get to soon. At first, Anu was trying to get a gun to commit suicide and was introduced to an acquaintance of Madhavi called Bronwyn Kamak. They met downtown at Garima Place, which is like a little shopping area that's full of methanies and methaniels, scag jockeys and potheads, hanging out either scoring, waiting to score or dealing. Anu didn't take long before she asked Kamak where she could get a gun to commit suicide. Bronwyn asked one of the Nathaniels walking past if he could get a gun, but nothing eventuated. As Anu drove Bronwyn home, Bronwyn asked her why not just overdose on heroin rather than use a gun. This got Anu thinking, and soon Anu, as always, got her little lapdog Madavi to call Bronwyn. When Bronwyn answered, Anu took over the call and asked where and how to score heroin. Bronwyn told her just go to Garima Place and told her what the deal was buying in regards to quantities and costs. In the end, Anu and Madavi need to learn how to inject the heroin. They go see a guy they know and Anu hands him some cash to score and he shows them how to shoot up. He scores and educates Anu on the art of shooting up heroin. Anu and Madavi are both injected as well as their tutor. They all share the same needle. Fuck's sake. Anyway, at this stage in mid-1997, several people are now aware that Anu wants to commit suicide and Madhavi knows it will also involve Joe. No one batters an eyelid. 
No one tries to give help or advise her to see a doctor or call one of the many suicide helplines. They all seem to go along with it. Maybe the ones that knew Anu shrugged it off as one of her attention-seeking dramas and that she would never seriously do it. Maybe they just thought it was her choice, her body, and she could kill herself if she wanted to, and it was no business of theirs. Maybe they were all just a pack of assholes. Around September 1997, as Madhavi and Anu are planning the suicide pact, and which said planning never seemed to involve Joe, Anu attended a counsellor and told her that Joe had been violent towards her and had hit her. Now when this would come up later in court, there would be no evidence that Joe was ever violent to Anu or anyone at any time. It was not in his personality to do that kind of thing. This meeting with the counsellor was more Anu building up a narrative that she would later require as part of her plan. It will become clear later. So the suicide pact between Anu and Joe is being planned as I said. The way it would pan out is Anu would invite friends over for a going away or suicide party. Once the guests leave, she would sedate Joe with Rohypnol and then inject him with a lethal dose of heroin so she could then inject herself and they would both overdose. So now we come to Monday the 20th of October 1997. A party is planned at Joe and Anu's place. Now, just before I go on, Joe and Anu had visited Joe's parents the day before in Newcastle and Joe told his mum about the planned party, and his mums will be mums, offered to make food, but Joe told her not to worry. This would be the last time Joe's parents would see him alive. As the afternoon of the 20th arrives, Anu tells Madhavi to go out and find guests for the dinner. She drives around and knocks on doors, and eventually there are half a dozen or so guests most just acquaintances of Madhavi and Anu, but all are uni students. As the party, and it was more of a dinner party, went on, they all drank and had a great time. As the party came to an end and Joe sipped his coffee, he had no idea that Anu had slipped in several Rohypnols into it. As the drugs started to take effect, Madhavi drove the guests home And on the way, she told them that if they already didn't know, that Anu and Joe were going to take their lives that night. Now, you would think that they would protest and call police or an ambulance or someone, but Madhavi assured them that Anu was dying and she and Joe had planned this out and not to get anyone like police or doctors involved. And sadly, they didn't. As Joe succumbed to the rowies, Anu found that she could not find the vein to inject him. Eventually, the heroin congealed in the syringe and rendered it unusable. Joe would wake the next day in a stupor, thinking he had a hangover from drinking the night before. Madhavi spoke to her colleagues at work and told them that the night before, the worst thing in the Crimes Act had been tried and that it would be attempted later the next weekend. Her workmates asked her what it was about. They suggested sex, rape, occult or drugs. Madhavi told them no, 
It was the worst thing. Eventually, they said murder, and Madhavi didn't want to speak any more of it. But then she went on to say, it's got something to do with revenge. Her workmates encouraged her to tell someone, the police, a uni counsellor or somebody, but Madhavi told them she would get locked up if she did. Later in the week, Madhavi would tell the same workmates that it was going to happen this weekend. They asked her if she could stop it. Madhavi replied that she couldn't. Her colleagues said, then tell someone who can. But of course, she doesn't. So Friday the 24th of October comes and there is to be another party at Joe and Anu's place. Joe has no idea the party will be on. There will be different guests this time, but much the same deal. People are invited to come and Mandavi is told to drive around and knock on doors to make up the numbers. The dinner party went well with everyone happy and jovial and by 3.30am early Saturday morning, all the guests had left, leaving just Joe, Anu and Madhavi. Again, Anu spikes Joe's coffee with Rahipnol, and he passes out. Anu tries to inject Joe with heroin, but fails again. Madhavi left to go back to her own home at around 5 or 6am, and Joe was still alive. Now, Madhavi had let one of the dinner guests, which the court called Miss J, stay at her place that night, and she'd gone back to Madhavi's place at around midnight. When Madhavi got home around six in the morning, she told this girl about what had happened, that Anu had drugged Joe and they were both going to commit suicide by overdosing on heroin. Miss J was shocked and later she went home. This didn't sit well with her, so she called Madhavi and told her she was going to call the police. Anu was listening in and broke into the conversation, angry as fuck, asking her what the fuck she thought she was doing. Miss J replied, Madhavi told me about you trying to kill yourself and trying to kill Joe, and I'm not comfortable with knowing about this. I need to do something about it. I will call the police. I know someone who's in the police force and he will listen to me. This could be a serious situation for you. Anu said, what do you know? You don't know anything. What are you going to tell the police? Miss J said, I'm going to tell them that you have heroin and that you tried to kill Joe with it and that you thought about killing yourself. Now Anu was trying to calm Miss J down and assure her that she had no intentions of harming Joe. Anu then said, How will I know that I'm going to be safe with you knowing this? I can't have this hanging over my head for the whole time. Miss J wanted to call a third party to confirm that Joe was in fact okay and then she would be satisfied and not contact police. Anu worried that Miss J would tell Joe about what happened said, I could never do this to do anything to Joe anyway because I looked at him afterwards for two hours and I realised that he was the one that stuck by me and I loved him. She added, we're engaged to be married. You could ruin all of this for us and that she had no right to do this to her. Now this third party, a Mr Mancini, 
thought that Anu's plan was just to drug Joe while she committed suicide herself. So when he was called by Ms. J in the presence of Anu, Mancini told Ms. J not to worry and that Joe was fine. He said, look, I don't think Joe's the one in danger here. I think it was Anna who wanted to kill herself. She obviously couldn't do it. Joe would be in danger. She's not going to do anything. After the call, Miss J rang back and said she didn't want any more to do with the matter and that she was definitely going to leave it alone and not tell anyone. Saturday evening comes round and eventually Joe would wake from his drugged state and he went about looking for any drugs in the place and he threw them all out. I think he was getting an idea that something was going on. Madavi came back around to Anu and Joe's house with the intention of doing some study. But when she got there, Anu angrily accused her of putting Rowies in her drink the night before. Maybe so Joe might think that he was also drugged by Madavi. Madavi, upset, took off and joined some friends at the art school ball. Anu, in the early evening of Saturday, again spiked Joe's coffee with a massive dose of Rowies and he was out again. This time, she was able to inject Joe with the heroin she had previously purchased with Madavi. Anu did not inject herself. But by early Sunday morning, Joe was still not dead. He was deeply unconscious, breathing and looking blue. Anu panicked and drove around and picked up Madavi and brought her back to the house. Madavi saw Joe on the bed and Anu told her she needed to buy more heroin. So Anu drove Madavi to an ATM which is an automated teller machine, where she withdrew $250 from her own account and gave it to Anu to score more heroin. She left the dealer with a syringe filled with heroin, enough to easily overdose, and drove back to home where Joe was in bed. This was around 9.30am. Anu, on return to her home, injected Joe with more heroin Still, he kept breathing. Just before midday, Joe was still alive, however he was now in a severely distressed state. She called Bronwyn Kamek and asked her what to do. Anu told her his lips were a bit blue and he was taking breaths every 10 seconds or so. Anu asked her to come over to help her, but Bronwyn didn't want to get involved and told Anu she was a selfish bitch and to call an ambulance. But Anu didn't want to call an ambulance, as they may inject Joe with Narcan, and he would wake up and realise what Anu had done, and would leave her for sure. This is actually what Anu thought, that Joe would realise she'd tried to kill him. What the fuckity fuck? Bronwyn hung up the phone. It was about midday. Now Anu didn't call the ambulance, until nearly two hours later. At this stage, Joe is in a really bad way. Now, here's the triple O call, which I've recorded, and I didn't have voice actors on hand, but Anna is the one that sounds like she's on the telephone. 
Could I get an ambulance, please? I have a person potentially overdosed on heroin. Potentially overdosed? Well, he's not. He's vomiting everywhere. Blood stuff. He's vomiting blood? Right. Okay. What's the address? Is that a bad sign? What's the address? Can you hang on? Please, just tell me. Is that a bad sign? That... Well, it's not good if he's vomiting blood. Oh, is he going to be okay? I don't know. I'll send an ambulance for them to check him out. Fair enough. What's the address? 30... Antill Street. Is that a flat or a house? Oh, it's a flat. What number in Antill Street? What's going to happen? What's the flat number? Oh, shit, shit. Listen to me. Oh, hang on. What, what, what am I going to do? Settle down. Settle down. Okay, what am I going to do? Well, if you tell the address, I'll get an ambulance out to you. Will he be okay? I don't know. We'll have to get an ambulance for you to assess him. What is the number of the flat in Antill? Is, is, oh, a shit. What is the number of that flat in Antill Street? It's, um, um, 79. Flat 30, 79. Is that correct? Yeah, no, hang on. Flat 30. Hang on, where's the ambulance? The ambulance is at Dixon. Now just calm down. What's your name? Oh shit, he's vomiting blood. What, what are... What's your name? Is he going to die? What's your name? Tell me, tell me, please. What's your name? Oh, oh, oh God, Olivia. What is your name, please? Uh, Olivia, Olivia. Oh, oh, fuck, hang on, hang on. What's the phone number you're ringing from? Hang on, his heart's still beating. Good, right, now just settle down for God's sake. Flat 30, 79 Antill Street. Flat 30, 79? No, no. 79 Antill Street. What's the flat number? It's a it's a townhouse. It's 79 in Antill Street. Yeah, 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 get here quickly. All right, we'll get someone there shortly. The phone now disconnects, but they call back. Yeah, 79 Antill Street. Now listen to me. Listen to me. Sorry. Just be quiet for a moment and listen to me. Right, right, right. It's no good you carrying on like that if I don't know where to send the ambulance. Okay, 79 Antill Street, go. What is the problem? He's OD'd on heroin, I think. Right, okay. Quick, quick, oh. The ambulance is on its way to you now. Is he breathing? I don't know. Well, check for me. No. Okay, do you know how to do mouth-to-mouth resuscitation? There's a lot of blood coming out of his mouth. Right, okay, clear that away. How? Roll him on his side. Put your finger in his mouth and clear it out. Right, right, hang on. Okay, 
do you know how to do mouth-to-mouth resuscitation? Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Do you know how to do mouth-to-mouth resuscitation? Yeah, yeah, yes, I do. Well, start doing it now. What if there's still stuff in his mouth? Get the stuff out of his mouth, put your finger in his mouth and get it out. Shit, shit. You've got to do something about it. You're the one that's going to help him right at this moment. The ambulance is on its way to you. What am I doing? I don't know what you're doing. Has the patient got a pulse? Has. Can you feel the pulse? Their heart? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, okay. Continue mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Mouth, I'm clearing that. Clear the airway and continue mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. His teeth won't open. His mouth's not opening properly. Well, prise it open. Yeah, yeah. Pinch off his nose. Pinch off his nose, open his mouth, tilt his head back slightly and blow into his mouth. Yeah, yeah. Okay, continue that. Do not stop. Okay, don't stop. Okay. Don't stop. Okay, is someone here? Someone, Someone's here? Just continue the resuscitation. He'll be all right, won't he? I can't answer that. I can't answer that over the phone. Just continue the resuscitation. Oh, God, I I can't. I can't. Well, go outside and get the ambulance officers. Is Is he there? Go outside and get the ambulance officers. Two, three, are you on location? We're approaching. Now, when you look at that phone call, and I'm sorry I don't sound like a female caller, but in the context context that we now know, what an absolute fucking bitch Anu is. She wants to be seen as helping Joe, but she also wants to create confusion and delay the arrival of the paramedics. She wants Joe to die, but she has to make it look like she's trying to save him for fuck's sake. So when paramedics get to Joe, he's vomiting brown stuff all over the place. They ask Anu how much he's taken, and she told them about 150 and some Rohypnol. Anu asked if they were going to give him Narcan, and they said no, and asked her to massage his heart. Now we know Anu doesn't want Narcan, as Joe will instantly wake up and find out what Anu has done. Anyway, about after about five minutes and still no breathing, the paramedics stood up. Joe was dead. It had taken him 36 agonizing hours to die. Yes, that's right, 36 hours. Anu said, it wasn't supposed to happen this way. We were supposed to be together. The paramedics called the police and Anu asked if she could go to the shop to buy ciggies. They told her to wait until the police arrived and while the police were on their way, Anu was freaking out, racing around the house. When police asked her what had happened, Anu said, The original plan was I was going to do it. We were supposed to go together. I gave him Rohypnol. I had some. Then I had some heroin. 
I just kept pumping it into him to put him to sleep so he wouldn't. At that stage, the cops then warned her about anything she said would be recorded and used as evidence. Then the cops said to her, You wouldn't what? And her replied, Wouldn't be awake when I killed myself. They arrested her and took her downtown. They would later charge her with murder and a couple of days later they would arrest Madhavi and also charge her with murder. As you can imagine, Joe's parents were devastated. So police start to investigate what the fuck had happened and soon they would unravel this amazing and disgusting story. How this girl had planned for months to kill herself and Joe. She had shared this plan with so many people and they did absolutely nothing to stop her or convince her otherwise. Madavi, Anu's little lapdog, was the most involved with the planning. She knew what was going on the whole time, even going with Anu to find out how to inject. She brought heroin for Anu and even organised the two dinner parties. She knew that Joe had no idea that he was going to be killed as part of this so-called suicide pact. Anu was denied bail, but Mandavi was bailed out on $100,000, which her family put up for her. Police were told by Anu's friends that she once boasted that she knew how to kill someone and get away with it by pleading insanity. (sighs) They would also seize letters she wrote, this is Anu, while on remand at the Belconnen Remand Centre. One includes the following passage. I've decided to write down how this happened, to get it clear in my mind also. I will write down what was going through my mind at the time too. Now she writes, I guess it all started in June 97. I went to the National Library with Madavi to look up info on suicide. At that stage, I was thinking of only me dying. We found this article which said that couples swear if the partner dies, they won't be able to go on. But two or three years later, they remarry. I thought then, If I die, Joe will just go on and find someone else. So I thought, if I die, he has to also. The articles were about overdosing on sleeping tablets. Too hard to take Joe with me that way. So I started looking for a gun. She also wrote, At no stage was I thinking of the future at all. I was thinking only of death all the time. All I wanted to do was die. I didn't even consider getting getting married was an option at all. She also wrote, It was too hard to get a gun, so looked into heroin. Needed sleeping tablets as well to take Joe with me. This was an act of selfishness. When I thought I had AIDS, I even put some blood of mine in his food so he would catch it too. This... This person is beyond pure evil. How, she thought she had AIDS, so she put her blood in his food so he'd catch it. What the fuck is wrong with her? Anyway, she, she goes on to write, she spent heaps of time with Madavi, 
getting the drugs and learning how to inject. So she doesn't mind putting a friend in at all. She doesn't want to go down on this by herself. She's making sure Madhavi is well and truly implicated. She also writes, Went to friend's house to learn how to inject. Spent all day planning death. Didn't do anything else. Didn't I think at the time that these friends of mine were helping me to die? Didn't I stop and think then that Joe was helping me to live? No, because I thought I was going to die too. All these friends were helping me to die. Funny thing is, at no time did she ever inject herself. Anyway, we'll go on. On the night of the incident, I thought Madavi had put Rowies in my drink. So I thought, no one cares about me. They only care about Joe. I thought she tried to drug me to prevent me from killing Joe. I should have thought, no one cares about me. Only Joe does. (sighs) She goes on to say, I felt compelled to do it. Because I thought everyone was against me and only cared if Joe died or not. Then I wasn't sure whether to call the ambulance. Kept thinking, he will leave you. Because Madavi said, you can't call the ambulance because he will leave you and put you in an institution. I thought, no way. So they were the letters that they found while she was on remand. Anyway, initially, both Anu and Madavi... They were going to be tried together, but during the course of this trial, it had to be aborted on technical grounds, and then Anu and Madavi were to be tried separately. Nino and Maria Cinque attended every day of all three trials. It's only during the trial that Maria and Nino found out that it took Joe 36 hours to die, and that Anu could have called the ambulance at any time earlier and save their boy. Now, during Anu's trial, which ended up being a judge-only trial and not one with a jury, her defence paid for expert witnesses to put forward the notion that she was not of sound mind for the duration that she planned and executed the act of killing Joe. Two of them took the stand and went on and on and on about her mental state at the time and how she clearly had diminished responsibility. Now, the prosecution was not able to get their own professionals to interview Anu, as she had a right to silence, fuckity fuck, fuck, fuck. Instead, they could only get professionals to go over the basic mental reports that were done when Anu was arrested. So, without getting into all the detail of the trial, and I do recommend you read Helen Garner's book, Anu would be found not guilty of murder, but guilty of manslaughter due to diminished responsibility because of her mental state at that time. Now, is that a what-the-fuckity-fuck? Joe's parents were furious. This little tart had killed their son and she was not guilty of murder? Just like everyone in her life, she'd manipulated and twisted everything for her own fucking benefit, even the fucking judge. 
Now, there would be a sentencing hearing where another load of psychologists would have their say on Anu's mental health and chances of rehabilitation. To cut to the chase, she would get 10 years with four years non-parole. And she'd already been in custody for around half of that, so she could possibly get out in just two years' time. What the fuck? Well, she did say... She could kill someone and get away with it by acting insane. What a cunt. Now, Madavi was to have her trial as well. She was on the charge of murder, attempted murder for the Monday night party and administrating a stupefying drug likely to endanger human life. Now, the funny thing is that Madavi Rao wasn't crazy in the head at the time So if she's found guilty, she would probably do more time than Anu Singh. But guess what? She got acquitted on all counts. What the fuck? Nothing. Nada. She finished her studies and took off out the country. Now, do you want to get even more of a rage? Well, Anu Singh, who was failing her last year of her law degree before she killed Joe, well, she got to complete her degree while on day release and even got her PhD in law. Just think, if she hadn't killed Joe, she would have failed her law degree. But by killing him, she was able to go on and complete it and get a PhD as well. Now, what the fuck? Anyway, guess what? Joe's parents were a bit confused when they went to his place to pick up his clothes and all his other stuff and found most of it missing. You know why? Well, they were given his diary from work, which had an entry for the 27th, which is the Monday after the day he died. It said, 2 o'clock, get ready to move. Then there was an arrow down to 6 o'clock, and it said, move urgent today. So he was planning to move away. Probably after the Monday night party, he, he realised Anu had drugged him, and he needed to make a clean break, but not let her know, as he knew she would put on a drama if she found out. I mean, there's so many if-onlys in this sick and twisted story. If only one person had tried to stop Anu Singh. I mean, Madhavi Rao was probably the one that should have done it, but I suppose her boring shit life finally got a bit of excitement in it when she conspired with Anu to kill Joe. But there were so many more that could have done something. Probably the only one who really tried to prevent Joe's murder was Ms. J, who I talked about before. When she found out what was going on, she was going to call the cops and stop it all. But Anu, the manipulating bitch she was, was able to convince her that all was fine and she was not going to do anything. If only Joe had survived into the next day when it looks like he was going to do a runner from his toxic relationship he was having with Anu, I'm sure she found out about the plan or noticed something going on and that's why she made sure to kill Joe that weekend. And she could have backed out any time in the 36 hours it took Joe to die. She'd rather he die than wake up and realise what she'd done as he would have left her, and she just did not want that. She preferred him dead rather than have him walk out. If they'd had a jury rather than a judge-only trial, 
I think she would have been convicted of murder rather than manslaughter and probably she could still be in prison. The whole thing stinks. She was planning to kill herself and yet all she did was kill Joe. That was all part of the plan to get stupid Madavi to go along and who blamed Joe for mentioning the Ipecac syrup years before. She blamed him for using it and it, and, and it caused her to go mental. With these toxic types, they blame everyone else. They can't take responsibility for themselves at all. Ah, and when Anu got out, she got a job. Now, now hear this. She got a job at a fucking needle exchange handing out needles to heroin addicts. You can't make this shit up. What the fuck is wrong with people? Now, if you do read Helen Garner's book, she did get to talk to both sets of parents. Now, when she spoke to the Sings, her father thought that he was going to get control the way it was written, but Helen wasn't going to be in on that. Oh, and he also asked how much money he would make out of it. Nice one. Your daughter kills a boyfriend and you want to see if there's a dollar in it. Now, Anu was approached several times by Helen for an interview, but she refused. So there you go. What what do you think, Islanders? Was justice served or did a conniving, manipulating, narcissistic bitch fool everyone and get away with murder? Now, I really do recommend you read Helen Garner's book. It brings so much life and depth to all the characters in this sick story. So much more than I could do in about 40-odd minutes tonight. Again, the book is called Joe Chinque's Consolation. You can get a hard copy at your favourite bookstore, but it's also available on Google Books. So, that's the end of the show, and time to shout out to the new Patreon people, and there's a few this week. Thank you so much to Erin M and Sharon Jamskin, who both upped their pledge this week. Thank you very much. Also to Mark Warner, Evie Groff, Michael Romero, Jay Oliver and Kelly Wood. Thank you. A big boom fuckalunga goes to Kate Alexander who jumped in at the highest level. On the $10 and $20 level, after three months, you get to choose a mug or t-shirt of your choice. A mug for the $10 people and a shirt for the $20 people. There'll be stickers for all $5 patrons. Please make sure if you're to get an award that your address is correct and that you're ex- if you are expecting something and it hasn't made it to you, please let me know so I can sort something out. I think so far only a couple of things have gone missing in the post. So you too can help out the island for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to patreon.com forward slash true crime island and get on board. But if you don't want a monthly commitment, you can also donate via PayPal at paypal.me forward slash truecrimeisland. If you email me, cambo at truecrimeisland.com, and I forgot the .com last week, but if you email me, I have stacks of koozies, keychain stickers and lapel pins that I can post to you for a donation amount, which all depends on postage and the like. All the other merch such as t-shirts, hoodies, tote bags, mugs of rage, even beach towels, all that stuff via the shop at truecrimeisland.threadless.com. Now, don't worry about all those things. There's links to everything at 
the website True Crime Island. You can always message me also. Now, this is a totally listener-supported show as I know how annoying those ads can be, so every cent goes back into the island and it is greatly appreciated. But you don't have to spend any money to support the show. You can rate, review and share the love. Tell someone about the show and if they don't know what a podcast is, grab their phone and hook them up. Now, don't forget to join the closed group on Facebook, hook up on Twitter and Instagram. The handle for those two is at True Crime Island and for Facebook, just search for True Crime Island. Our amazing mods, all myself, will let you in. Hi to Jason and Senga. Senga's just got back from a work trip to China. Welcome back, Senga. So tonight I will have a promo from Kate Wallinger of the Ignorance Was Bliss podcast. Do yourself a favour and give it a listen. Well, that's about it for tonight and lots of love to Maggie Jane. So this has been Cambo and you've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night. I say boomfuckalunga a lot too. Good night. So strange. Usually. I can't imagine what that's like. Do you want to? That could never happen to me. It might. Lock him away. He's pure evil. Or insane. Or human. My name's Kate. I have worked as a forensic psychologist, as well as in prisons, and as a crisis clinician. My job was to figure out who gets locked up and who gets a key to find the humanity in inhumane situations. So, are you sure you really want to know? Yeah, maybe. Because by the end of the episodes, you just might end up thinking... I felt better before I knew that. You can find me at IWB Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, sometimes Instagram, or you can email me at iwbpodcast at gmail.com.